thinking, you know, this, when you're driving across the country, we drove back from my parents' 50th anniversary in Ohio. We drove 6,300 miles throughout the course of the trip, and uh, we, you know, spent some time when, when the kids are kind of doing their thing, and Becky was reading, you know, give me some time to just think, and I'm a thinker anyway, you know, I have to process internally, and so that's one of the ways that, uh, that God works on me, and so just kind of doing that, and um, I know we just finished up a series on loving your neighbor, which is a very important thing, but as, as I mentioned before, it's, it's a passage that I've not really ever taught about, which may, may astound you. There is a good reason why uh, I've never taught about it, it's because Micah 6.8 is essentially saying almost the exact same thing as this verse in Luke chapter 10. And so, uh, we've taught a lot about doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly, but I wanted to talk just a little bit about this in Luke chapter 10. So, you can open up your Bibles if you have them to Luke chapter 10 or, or use the Bible app, and that's where we're going to be. But wanted to kind of share with you what, some of what I think and what I've learned and studied and received about this passage over the last couple of weeks. And uh, so, we're going to dig into that. But First, you know, we were, we were on this road trip, and uh, we, two years ago when we went back to Ohio, we, we went through Yellowstone, but we left, I think it was Missoula, Montana, or somewhere like that, in the morning, and then got to Yellowstone. So we only ended up spending about four or five hours in Yellowstone. So we wanted to go back and do it again and get a little more time in the park. And so we had some advice from my uncle. He said to come through the south entrance of Yellowstone. And if you've ever been to Yellowstone, uh, you know the south entrance is the one where you come up through Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and you get to drive through the Tetons. And if you ever go to Yellowstone, I would echo my uncle's advice, come in through the south entrance. It's, it's majestic. It's amazing. There are few sites like that in the world, and it's just worth, worth the extra time to go to the south entrance instead of the west entrance. I don't, it's not even that much farther than going to the west entrance. But So we wanted to come in, to, uh, come in through the south entrance, go into Yellowstone. We saw some buffalo just kind of roaming out, you know, and we ended up seeing thousands of buffalo throughout the day. It's, a, it's astounding how many buffalo, which you would think, we went there two years ago, we didn't see a single buffalo. And you'd think if there are thousands of buffalo, how could you not see one of them? But we didn't see any buffalo last time. We saw thousands this time. And so we go through the Teton National Park, and then, uh, then we get into the entrance for Yellowstone, and there's this big, long line of cars waiting to get in. And I noticed this sign that says, tune your radio to 1610 AM for park information, you know, kind of like the traffic signs. You see if there's something going on in the, on the highways and freeways, then you can turn to that and see what's going on, although most of us already know that now because we have smartphones and we're in this century. But, you know, you're sitting there in line, you don't have anything else to do, so we turn on the radio and they just kind of have this loop playing of some, some people who have recorded information about the park, and they're telling you things to do and not to do, and they have the rules on there, you know, you know don't come within you know, a certain distance of the wildlife. For, for all the wildlife, I think it's like 25 yards or something like that, but for bears, it's 100 yards. You know, you're supposed to stay out 100 yards away from a bear because that's one of the animals in the park that could claw you to death in a matter of seconds. Um, but then they're talking about some of the things that they have to kind of protect you in the park, and one of them they mentioned was bear spray. Has anyone ever heard of bear spray? So it's like mace, right? It's like this can of spray, and it's, you know, the bug spray where you're, where you're shooting hornets, it sprays like 15 feet out. 
right? So this is what this can of spray does. It shoots the bear, you know, from 15 feet out. And I kid you not, this is exactly what, what they said. They said the, uh, the spray is proven to be 90% effective. 90% effective. And I, after, you know, I, I laughed out loud a little bit and wished I had DVR so I could play it back for Becky to hear. But I was like, did he really say it? He really? Because we listened again. And they said, because it's on a loop. It's like a 15-minute loop. So we listened to the second time as we're waiting in line. And they said it again, 90% effective. It's like, that's, that's, that's reassuring. Feels good to know that if I spend the money on this on the spare spray, that there's a 90% chance I'm going to be able to, to walk away from an encounter with a bear. 90%, you know, that's pretty good. But then I started thinking, how did they figure this out? <laughs> like, was it the park rangers, the, you know, the poor, like, intern park rangers that come in and they have to, like, they had to run out and they have to spray it when they see a bear and they have to check. They had to do it at least 10 times to know that it works 90% of the time. And what I want to know is what happened on the last time. Like, how do they know it's 90%? Or, you know, then I thought, well, maybe the number is based on the number of times they've seen it work and not work with park goers who have used it, and then the 10% that were mauled anyway, and they say, ah, about 10% of our people use the spray and still get attacked by a bear. But that got me wondering, got, got me thinking about some of the percentages that we think about all the time and we hear regularly on a regular basis, right? It's like, what other things, if they only worked 90% of the time, would that be acceptable? What are the things, if, if it works, like if your phone, if you picked up your phone and nine times out of 10 it worked, but one time you turned it on and it just didn't even turn on, and, or you, you, know, you received 90% of the texts that were sent to you, but you missed 10% of the text. I think we'd probably start to get a little bit frustrated and irritated if, if that was the case. But it's not, it's not like it's no big deal if the spray doesn't work, right? I mean, if, if the spray doesn't work, like, well, 90% of the time the bear's going to run away, the other 10% of the time you're going to have to run away. Good luck with that. Let us know how that works. But then, there, did you know there are other percentages that, that we kind of live by that we've accepted that I kind of have a problem with? I've made my peace with this one. Did you know up to 50% of Parmesan cheese can be wood product? Saw a story on the news, no kidding. A place down in California got shut down because they were using more than 50% sawdust in the Parmesan cheese. Did anyone else know that? Did anyone know that that was, what, was like 50%? You know now, yeah, so no one's going to buy Parmesan cheese. Saw it on the news. Politicians, if they accomplished 90%, that would be a miracle. God, someone, just, someone texted that in. But this, is, this one is disturbing, and, and the percentage is quite low, but it's one of those things that you think the only percent that really is acceptable is zero, and that's when we're talking about factories that produce food, and the percentage of not just animal excrement that's allowed into your food, which that's allowed into your food, you think about that, it's like... Or, but like parts, like animal parts, you know, like dead, dead rat parts, like there, for the industry, there is an acceptable percentage. Should this not like shock us and appall us? Like what, what percentage of, of, of rat head is acceptable in my food? Zero. Like I don't want 
any rat head in my food. I, I just want it to be all food. But yet we've kind of gotten used to it, and you know, none of us know where our food comes from anymore, so we're just kind of okay with it, and we hope that uh, uh, if, there's, if the percentages exceed the allotment, then you know, they'll do a recall and we'll all be safe and not too many of us will die. But talking about percentages, I want to talk about this passage this morning and look at it from the idea of percentages. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and as we've learned the last couple of weeks, love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this. It says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Do what and you will live. Well, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, if we do that, then we will live. So we, we probably ought to pay attention to that because that would be worth noting that if we do these things, we will live. But what does it mean? What does it mean to love God with all your heart? I mean, is that, is that the 90% number where, like, I can, I can love God with 90% of my heart, but I'm going to save the other 10% for myself and my own desires? Or is that like the, you know, the, the 2% number or the 1% or the less than 1%? Well, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to love God when I'm at church on Sundays and, you know, maybe, you know, while I'm listening to Caleb or 104.1, the fish in the car. But outside of those kind of restricted moments, it's, it's, it's me. It's all me. It's all about me. I mean, what is, according to Jesus, what is the acceptable percentage for how much we're supposed to love Him? It's not 50, it's not 90, it's not even 99, it's all. We're supposed to love God with all of our heart. And if this is that thing where it says, love God with all of your heart, we're going to spend some time over the next couple of weeks talking about the other's heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. We're going to dig into those the next couple of weeks. But, but today I just want to look at heart. What does it mean to love God with all of your heart? Well, first we have to look at what the heart is, right? Well, for us, you know, in modern days, we know the heart is kind of the center of our physical body. The heart is what keeps us alive. It pumps the blood through all of our body. And, and you know, as you kind of do some research and study, you know that it, that it plays an integral part in keeping you alive, right? Does anyone not know that? And, okay, hopefully you know your heart keeps you alive. Your heart is what pumps life through your entire physical body. So that's how, that's how we understand it literally today, but, but how we would have understood it back when Jesus was talking and back especially in the Old Testament, it was, it was a little bit different. It was the core of who we are physically and spiritually. It's the very central inmost part of who we are. That's what the heart is. It's the very central inmost part of you and me is our heart. Our heart is the center of physical and emotional and elect, or intellectual and moral activities. It's the center of it. So when, so when we're talking about heart, at least as it, as it pertains to the Bible, most of the time they're talking about this heart that is the center of who we are. 
So the heart becomes this thing that is the source that fuels or feeds who we are and what we do. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 34. We also learn that the mouth speaks and reveals what is in the heart. In that verse, as well as in Romans chapter 10 and Deuteronomy 30, verse 14, that, that when the mouth speaks, it is speaking from the overflow of the heart. So when we, when we talk, we're talking what is in our hearts. But today we don't normally associate the brain or the mind with rational and non-rational activities, yet the ancients did not divorce them, Psalm verse, or 20, verse 4. So we need to think of it holistically and all tied together. The second, the heart's reasoning as well as its feeling depends on its moral condition. The heart's reasoning and feeling depends on its moral condition. We don't have to look very far to understand that truth, that, that when we think with our hearts, which is how we are being told and even prompted and prodded and pushed to think today, we're supposed to think with our hearts, right? And we're supposed to think with our feelings. Feelings is what's the most important thing, not, not truth, not reality, not what is actually supposed to happen, but, but your feelings trump everything, and, and we'll say, well, I just feel. And when that phrase comes out, I just feel, then it's kind of like this trump over everything, like we just played the card that beats every other thing in the game. By the way, I hope you know when I say Trump, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I just want to clarify that. Um, I'm talking about, we played, we played um, Euchre. Anyone else know, know how to play Euchre? We played Euchre a lot growing up in the Midwest, and it was a Trump game, and so it was kind of, it's in my brain. I'm trying to work it out because I know not everyone likes Donald Trump and some people like him too much. And so, but it just comes out from time to time. So, hope you'll forgive me. But that, that, that word feelings comes up and then all of a sudden, well, there's no rational argument anymore. And we know we all work this way, right? We, we get strong feelings and it's really hard to kind of overcome this feeling to do or pursue something. And this feeling starts to drive us, and it becomes the thing that is really making the decisions. But, but that's not how we're supposed to act as followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts. It's out of our hearts where things come. So it's the moral condition of our heart that determines whether we're going to be producing and living Good or bad? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, when we say and quote many times, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Proverbs chapter 22, 15 says, folly is found up in the heart of a child. And then Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, and Ezekiel 36, 26 says, the Spirit of God must give humans a new heart through faith that purifies it. Acts chapter 15, verse 9 and Ephesians 3, 17. So the moral condition of the heart determines how we're going to live our lives. And third, moderns distinguish between the brain's thoughts and a person's actions, but the, distinguish, the distinction between thought and action is, is inappropriate for the heart. The distinction between thought and action is inappropriate for the heart. The word is near you, says Moses to a regenerated Israel, and your mouth and in your heart. 
So if we are going to love God with all of our hearts, it's not just an internal feeling that we can stir up with our emotions on a Sunday morning experience. It is this desire that must work itself out in our actions on a day-by-day basis. But it's not something we can do in our own strength. You know, if we, if we think that a lot of times we're going to talk about this as we get into the coming weeks when we talk about with soul and strength and mind, that though we can kind of put on the, the attitudes and the, the, the perception and the actions that make us look righteous. And we think if we, if we can kind of put together this life that appears righteous on the outside, then, then, then we're good. You know, it's like kind of fake it till you make it kind of thing. And, and while there is some merit to some of those things, it has to start with a transformation of our heart. See, righteousness, our own righteousness will never get us to God. Our own righteousness will never lead us to the place where we can love God with all of our heart because we are selfish. We have our own ideas and agendas in our heart, and the only way to change that is to receive a new heart. And so we might be sitting here thinking, man, this is, this is like, this is, this is bringing me down a little bit. I mean, you just come back from vacation, and you're just going to kind of lay this thing out. It's like, well, you can't love God with all your heart. And you're like, well, it's true, but I think this thing that, that may be feeling like condemnation actually can become our affirmation of the truth. This thing that was condemning to us can actually affirm us in the truth of God is that we can't love God with all of our heart on our own power. The only way to love God with all of our heart is to receive a new heart from God. See, when we're born again, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and, and Jesus washes us of our sins and, and then He purifies us and now we, as we've talked about so much over the last several months, that, that we receive the Holy Spirit and we have the power of the resurrected Christ living, alive, and active and at work in us. This, this resurrection power is working in us. This resurrection power is giving us new life, including in our heart. So when we're born again, God does a, a heart transplant and we get this new heart. And the power of the Spirit, this resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead, transforms our hearts from me-focused and sin-focused to God-focused. We don't become perfect, so don't hear me saying that. I'm not saying that the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive perfection in the terms of the righteousness and the life that we live, But because we, we still have our sinful flesh and the freedom to choose whether or not to obey it. We still get to choose whether we're, not going, we're going to live this life. But Romans chapter 6, verse 10 t- tells us that when Jesus died for us on the cross, He broke the power of sin that controls us. It's broken. It no longer has to control us. See, before Christ, we are under the control of a broken heart. But when Jesus died on the cross, He broke the power of that sin to control us. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we receive Him as our Savior, this gives us access to God and His power. It's a power to transform our hearts from sin-hardened to Christ-softened. 
So when we were separated from God with hardened hearts, we found it impossible to please Him because we were trying in our own strength and our own ability to live a righteous life, and no one can do that except for Jesus Christ. We were selfish. We were in rebellion, gladly rebelling against God and living in sin. But with new hearts, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we are declared righteous before God. So now, so now we're seen as righteous. He sees us, his child, as a righteous child. He sees me, David, as a righteous David. He sees you as a righteous you. And now this Holy Spirit that lives in us is also giving us a desire to please God. And that desire was foreign to us. It was, it was like speaking a different language in our sin-hardened state. Right before, when we were in our selfish way of living, we didn't know what it meant to please God or have a desire to please God because everything was about me, myself, and I. But now the Holy Spirit is coming in and He's giving us a resurrection life, a new, a new resurrected life that gives us the desire to please God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18 says that we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory as, as we go on and as we continue to follow God day by day and with each passing moment, He continues to transform us into His image, into the likeness of His Son, which comes from who? Not me, not my works, not my ability to earn my own righteousness or to do my own thing that's going to look like righteousness to God. It doesn't come from that. It comes from God. It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God's desire for every single one of us is that we become like His Son, Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We can become like Jesus only when we allow God to rid us of our old hardened hearts and give us new hearts. See, what was once condemnation has really become our affirmation that when we were condemned because of our inability to please God, because of our inability to live for God and love God, now we have received this new life, and this becomes our affirmation. This is now who we are. We're no longer under condemnation. We are under the affirmation of Jesus Christ and what He says about who we are. And so now we have the ability to live with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strengths, a life that loves God. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this, this truth, this affirmation, it's not just something like we've talked about so many times that we work at trying to squeeze in and add to who we are. This truth, this affirmation of who God says we are becomes who we are. This is, this is who you are. This is who I am. This is who we are as the body of Christ. That thing that used to be the measurement that showed us we were constant failures has now become the evidence of Christ's victory. 
the thing that showed us 90% is the best I'm ever going to do. 90% is the closest I'm ever going to maybe reach to be able to loving God with all of my heart. 90% is as close as I can get. And that thing which was the thing that put us down and destroyed us and the measurement that showed us that I was a constant failure has now become the evidence of Christ's victory because I could never get there on my own. And Christ comes in and says, you're not going to get there, but here, let's get you the rest of the way. Like here, it's just, we're just going to walk across this line together. And This is now who we are. That's who, who you are. That's who I am. We're no longer this, this Pharisee, and truthfully, we're no longer these hypocrites that are trying to live out the truth in our own mind, in our own might, in our own ability. Now we are through and through sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's good news, right? That's why they call it the good news. And it gets better. So the more that we allow God to come into our hearts and to change our hearts and our desires, to, to change our passions, which is where our passions come from, our passions come from within our hearts, our, our drive, the things that drive us come from within our heart. The more we allow Him to come in and change our hearts and renew our heart and redeem our heart and transform our heart, the more our hearts will start to resemble His heart. And the more our hearts resemble His heart, the more our lives will reflect His heart to the heartless world. See, we'll never by our own might love God with all of our heart, and we were never meant to. It was always, from the very beginning, God's plan to send the Holy Spirit to empower us to live this kind of life. That was His plan that has not changed throughout human history. His plan was always to empower us with His own power to live the life that He's called us to live. It probably brings up a lot of questions about the Old Testament and all of this stuff, and we can talk about that later. You can ask Rob. He has all those answers. <laughs> but I want to ask you a question. Right now, in this moment, would you say that you're struggling, like, like you're, you're straining to love God with all of your heart, or would you say that you are receiving a new heart? Maybe, maybe we're struggling to love God with all our heart because we're just trying to do it on our own and we just can't ever get there and it's constantly frustrating. And what if today, this very day, all of us stop trying so hard to love God on our own and we just received His love? And we just received this love that God wants to pour out on us, this, this abundant love that never ends. Like we just read, His love that is so deep and so wide and so long and so high that we cannot comprehend it. What if, what if we just started receiving it? This love of God does not have a limit. It does not have an end. It has no boundaries whatsoever. It is just something that God wants to transform us with. And as we receive more and more of it, the more our lives will reflect the abundant love of a God who wants to share this love love on a broken-hearted world. So I think today if we stopped just trying so hard to be someone who loves God and that we just receive from God this love, that we would become the living love of God. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine how that would change the world in which we live, the, the world that you're going to go into in just a few short minutes when, when you leave this place, the, the world that you're going to go in tomorrow morning as you go to work, and the world that you're going to go in as you go into your homes, and how could the love of God transform your home life? How could the love of God transform your work life? How could the love of God transform your neighborhood? See, if, we, if you and I, if both of us, if all of us, were, if we were to allow God through the power of the Spirit to change us into His love, and if we let Him do that on Monday through Sunday, not just Sunday mornings when we're gathered together, and all of the people we encountered experienced this new Holy Spirit, power-filled, powerful love of God that is alive in us, you know what I think? I think, I think the people around us would start to see a God who loves them, not just people who are trying to manipulate them. And I want to, you know, I want to confess and maybe even ask for your forgiveness is that, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on loving our neighbors throughout the years, and we, we for, I'm not ashamed of saying, you know, we want to reach people for the kingdom. That's been my heart all along is that just want to see people come into the kingdom. I remember praying as a little kid as my dad would come in and pray with us at night. Just, I used to pray every single night that, that all the people of the world would get saved. I just think it's just the desire that God has put on my heart since I was a kid to see people come into the kingdom. But I think maybe some of the things that we've done have, have maybe bordered too more on on manipulation and just trying to force something to happen, and not enough on transformation and working through the heart of God to love people with the love of God. But I think if we would change this, I think if I can change this and if God can change it in me, He can certainly change it in you, that if we not only receive this gift of God's love, but we allow it, but the reason I say that it's, you know, if He can do it in me, He can certainly do it in you because I'm stubborn and it's sometimes hard for me to change. I like change except for when the change, you know, is something that I really need to change and then it becomes really hard for me to change. And so that's just who I am, but I know none of you are like that. So, so you know, as soon as, if God can change me, I know He can change you. But I think what would happen if we not only receive this gift of God's love, but we allow it. We allow it. If we, we just give God total permission, total 100% permission to come in and change everything, to come in and transform everything, to come in and do a new work in us, to give us a new heart, to make us a new creation. And I think this has more to do with what it means to love God with all of your heart. Is it's not so much to strive and to try, but to just let God in and let God do what God can do because He is, as another pastor said, He's a takeover God and He wants to come in and take over. And if we just give Him that permission, He will come in and take over. But if we allow it, what would happen? How would it transform the way we see the world around us? You know what I think it would change? I think, I think if we let the love of God transform our heart, we'll, we'll, we'll condemn the world a lot less and comfort a lot more. 
See, we condemn the world because the world isn't living up to God's righteous standard, but we can't live up to God's righteous standard. We know that from experience, and yet we're still condemning the world because they're not living up to God's righteous standard. But what we need to understand is they have a broken heart. Their heart is only capable of producing sin and selfishness. And so if we could understand that, if we could see God's heart for the heartlessness of the world, I think we would come alongside and say, just comfort and, and, and love. And we understand your, your, your heart is broken. How could you possibly love? If we let this love of God really transform us, wouldn't we do more to share the love of God to a world that doesn't know what love really is? And perhaps never more than today, our world is more confused than ever. See, that person that that's been driving you crazy at work, it's just driving you absolutely insane. It's like, man, they are just a moron. I cannot stand this person. But what if, what if we allowed God to change our heart toward them and, and say, what, well, they, they need God's love. They're driving you crazy because they are crazy, because they have not yet received God's love. And if they have supposedly received God's love and they're still living like that, well, that's a different conversation. But that family member that you just can't stand, the one that's driving you nuts while well, they... They need God's love. And the person who won't get out of the passing lane, they really, really <laughs> got a lot of stories about people in the passing lane from this trip. Save that for another sermon. They need God's love. The neighbor that throws their trash into your yard over the fence, we had one of those, they, they need God's love. What if we let the love of God transform the way we see the brokenhearted people around us? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that change everything about how we approach them? That, that instead of coming to them and trying to say, well, if you just lived and did and acted this way, well, actually, you know what? The responsibility isn't on you, it's on me, and the responsibility on me is not to correct you. The responsibility on me is to love you, and here's how I want to help you. I want to love you the way God has loved me. See, there's no possible, actual, any kind of way for those who don't know God to experience God's love unless they experience it through us. God can work in miraculous ways, and there are exceptions to the ways that he's done that, but, but the way he's relying on sharing and spreading his love into the darkness and hardness of the world is through you and me. But we can't do that if we're caught up in trying to love God in our own ability. You ever thought about that? If, if we're trying to love God in our own strength, in our own might, if we're trying to, to pursue God in our own ability, what happens is all of our efforts then get wrapped up in our own ability to pursue God. So we have nothing left to give, to show, to love, and give the world the love that it needs. So there's nothing that we have to be able to let the world see God's love. But if we are caught up in receiving God's love, and now we just essentially become a conduit through which God's love flows to those around us, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our family, and to the unbelievers of this world, then, then we become God's visible representation of love into a heartless world. So my question for you and for me is, are we, are we living in our own might and our own strength to try to force and push our hearts to love God? Or 
have we allowed God to come in and transform everything about who we are, fill us with His love so that we are now just becoming the pitcher that pours out God's abundant love on the world around us. Let's stand together. Someone just texted in, 99% obedience equals 100% rebellion. Just as 99% faithful to a spouse is 100% faithful. Praise God for making it possible to have a 100% heart for God through Him who made us victorious by giving us a new transformed heart. That's fantastic news. Heavenly Father, we thank You for that news. We thank You for that truth that, that it is because of You and Your work in us that we can receive such an amazing gift. I thank You that You not only have transformed my heart, but that You're continually in the process of transforming my heart. I thank You that You have, by the presence of the Spirit living in me that I received when I put my faith in You, that You're continuing to refine me. Father, I thank You that, that You are alive and active and at work in me and that, that I can see and hopefully exemplify the ways that You're changing who I am to be more like You. And I thank You for that for all of us here this morning, that, that You are actively in the process of changing us. You're, you're transforming us out of the selfless or selfish and self-centered world that we came from into a selfless and God-centered world. that as our striving comes short, you, you do more than fill up the gap. You abundantly overcompensate for the shortness that we have. And I thank you for that. I thank you that, that righteousness is who we are and that the process of, of following you is more learning how to live out who we are as opposed to striving to achieve something. Father, we want to know who you want us to be. We want to learn through your word what you say about us, who you say we are, what we're supposed to do. But Father, let us never get sidetracked. Let us never get off course about the, the driving force behind it is that at the very center of who we are, the very core of our being, that there is a God who is filling and empowering and, and transforming our hearts so that at the center of who we are now, this source becomes life that pumps through our veins. The source becomes power that pumps through our veins, that the source becomes love that is actually pumping out through all of who we are in all of our life. Father, I pray that that truth would sink deep into our souls, deep into our hearts, and that you would change that in us from this moment forward, that we may from here on out walk in that love that you've called us to walk. In Jesus' name, amen.